welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining on this episode, one where we have Carrie Trent Stageberg with us. She's going to be sharing a little bit of her story today and then also talking us through a, a book they have and a whole ministry really centered around the blessing. And we're going to find out all about what that is and all about Carrie. Carrie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Nate. I'm so excited to be here. I love having you here. We were going to have you on earlier, but uh, you, the COVID finally caught up with you. Uh, it a few did. Weeks you know, ago. we were good for like two years, and then bam! So <laughs> out of nowhere, apparently, it's still still a thing, still going still around. Uh, so you uh, are are a part of a ministry. You get to work with your dad a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your and and uh, who you are right here at the top of the show? Yeah, I am so blessed to get to work with my dad. It's honestly a really special season, but we run a nonprofit called Strong Families. And like you said, it's really all based around the blessing and how can you build deep attachment and connection in your relationships and maybe even heal if you didn't grow up with deep attachment and connection in your own home. Um, And so that's really the heartbeat of our ministry. And then um, we'll chat more about my story, but um, the, the blessing to me, isn't just something my dad created. It's extremely personal uh, and really what brought me back to the Lord and to faith and to my family. So it's, it's a really personal thing for me as well. And you've had a lot of success with that. At least uh, people are resonating with it. I believe over a million copies sold. Uh, You've been featured on, on, uh, you know, national radio shows, including focus on the family as well. Um, So lots of opportunity to share this. Um, and you alluded to yeah, your God's story. been really kind with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's amazing when that happens. But you've alluded to your story a little bit. And so I want to kind of shift and talk about you and then move towards the blessing. Um, where Because your story in and of itself, you've shared. It's a ministry kind of of its own uh, to a, a certain demographic. Where does where does Carrie's story begin? Yeah, you know, um, I think the beginning, if you will, uh, is really, I grew up in a home uh, where my dad's in ministry, my family loves the Lord. I mean, there literally wasn't a day where I didn't know that God was crazy about me or that my family was crazy about me. Um, But at the end of the day, it's a choice. And I know for me personally, um, the Lord just felt really abstract. Mm. You know, you kept, I kept seeing all these rules and while I saw faith lived out at home, I saw a lot of hypocritical things happening in the church and, and ministries around us and different things like that. And, um, I just, I kind of just thought God was a bunch of rules, but there was no real relationship. So long story longer, I walked away from faith and family and I ended up eloping, shocking my whole family, probably like not the best thing to do when you have a dad in marriage and family ministry. (laughs) Well, in, in further context, what age are you eloping at? I was, gosh, how old was I? I think I was like 22, maybe 22. That's still really young. It was young. It yeah. was, I was young and dumb. It was real dumb. Yeah. I, mean, I guess that, young, that's, that's right on par maybe for a Bible college student to be, be getting married, but eloping. Yeah. And your, your dad's in that section of ministry. Did, yep. How did he, how did he handle that? You know, they, before we got married kind of said, are you sure this is the guy? Cause we don't think that it is. There's some red flags and I kind of said, I'm going to do what I want and did it. Um, and I will say, you know, to my family's credit, it was like, well, if that's the choice you made, we're going to do everything we can to help you be successful. Um, and they did. But, you know, at the end of the day, that relationship was incredibly abusive and in every way that you can possibly imagine. And for anyone that has watched a loved one go through abuse or experienced themselves, it wasn't long before I was completely isolated from my family and friends. And so there was about a, you know, four and a half, five year period where things were just a disaster. Um, you know, and my family didn't know where I was. They didn't know where I was living. They didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, we even got an annulment in the middle of all of that. I moved back home for a couple months. Then he quote unquote changed and I moved back in with him. So, I mean, it was just a, I mean, typical come and go, come and go, um, situation, but it was really a nightmare for my family and for me. Yeah. I, I hear you use the word typical, but I mean, I, I know there's probably some people listening like that maybe for Dateline NBC, but that doesn't sound typical. Any, that sounds like some Jerry Springer slash drama. Oh, it feels like Jerry Springer oh <laughs> drama. 
Yeah, but when you're in it, you know, the average victim, I, I hate using that word victim, um, future survivor, the average future survivor um, leaves seven times before they actually really leave. So, you know, a lot of times you see that where it's like, okay, well, they didn't really mean it, so I'm going to stay. Or I've got my bags packed, but, oh, they apologized and they really mean it this time and I'm going to stay or just downplaying things that happened. And so for me, um, it really was sort of that, like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out uh, experience. And that lasted for a while. But, I mean, really, my family kind of had no idea the extent of what was going on or, or even how to contact me or, or find me uh, should they have even wanted to. So, because... There's so many questions I, I, I hear from, yeah. from <laughs> listeners when you're like, okay, I hear seven times, but like if you're getting abused, you just go like, right. You just yeah. leave. But like, is it possible to be in an abusive relationship and not understand that it's really abuse? Uh, I, I know that's Absolutely. a weird question, but is that possible? Yeah. You know, I mean, a couple of thoughts on that. The first is I, I'm probably the last person that ever would have thought they would have ended up in, a, in an abusive relationship, but it can happen to anyone. And it's a slow climb. It's not like the abuse happens overnight. It really is, um, you know, like the lobster in the water. Mm, it it yeah. slowly starts to boil. Dare we use and the word groom? Like, is, is that an yes, appropriate it's word? totally grooming. And the cycle itself is extremely addictive. Um, and the reality is, is when you're experiencing trauma, your brain is designed to help you survive, mm. which is a wonderful, incredible, God-built-in thing. But what happens is, is after the trauma happens and your brain kicks into survival mode, you can't really process what happened because there's the threat of more trauma. And so you keep living in this cycle of there's something terrible that happened. Okay, I can kind of recover a little bit, but now I'm starting to feel that tension again and it happens. And so you're really living in fight or flight constantly. Um, and I remember I had a loved one give me a book called The Verbally Abusive Relationship. And I read the whole thing through three times, pretty much underlined verbatim things that were being said and done to me. And I still was wrestling and Googling, am I in an abusive relationship? Wow. So it does take a while to really accept that and acknowledge that. And quite frankly, you love the person. Your, 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 your logical mind is going, there's no way someone that loves me could possibly be treating me that way on purpose. Well, yeah, it sounds like you'd be almost, uh, your, your mind would put out the bad times and only concentrate on the good. Like, well, these are the good times. These are the yes. things that, this is truth up here. Uh, this yep. is my reality. And these other things are what, like... Well, well, let's look at that. What what did what did your experience look like through that? Because you've talked about a little bit of abuse, but maybe dig deeper in uh, examples of the the stages and going through those those several years. What did your life look like during that time? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny. I feel like in so many ways, other people could see what was happening, but I just couldn't. Um, again, that survival mode was part of that. And also just the fact that I had never experienced abuse before. So to me, there had to be a logical reason why things were happening. Like, you know, let's say just for example, let's say I like washed his socks one time and he came home and was really mad that I washed the socks. Well, the logical response is, well, I just won't wash your socks. But the thing with abuse is next time you don't wash the socks and they come home and they're really angry that you didn't. And yeah. so you kind of can't win. You're in this like, you know, darned if I do, darned if I don't, can't escape it cycle. And so I kept trying to logic my way. Well, if that was the wrong decision, I can just make this one. Well, I can change this. I can adapt here. And the reality is, is you can't out adapt abuse. <laughs> it's always going to keep you trapped and keep you in that place. And so I think for me, um, I'm a pretty stubborn person. So that was that was a huge part of it for me. But I also think from the outside looking in, I mean, we had neighbors call the cops. We had um, there were three different times that somebody literally offered me a key, a physical key saying, hey, if you need a safe place to stay. And I remember the first and second time I was like, what in the world? Like we fight. Everybody fights like this isn't what are they talking about? A marriage safe place is hard. To stay. It's just this is yeah, marriage. Like, this is this is just what it is, you know. And so. I, it really did take a while for my eyes to be open to the severity of what was going on, even though other people could see it pretty clearly. So it sounds like maybe a little little nature through stubbornness, maybe a little ig true ignorance of situation. Yeah. 
and gaslighting going on from uh, oh, the, the person you trust the most. It, it doesn't. It well, sound- and, that, and I think that's a really big part of it because you'd say, like, you know, you'd th- want to bring up something that happened, and it was like, well, that never happened. Mm. Well, I never said that. You totally imagined it. You know, or that was your fault, and here's why. And they make a very convincing argument. Or I love you. Um, why would I do that? What? Who? Yeah. Who would, no, that wasn't me. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like through all of that, you may not have been able to, like if somebody tried to speak into your life, you may not have been able to see it and just shrugged it off. Or like you mentioned yeah, the key, I, mean, I guess that happened. For a while, but I... I don't think I definitely wasn't open to hearing what my family had to say because I knew how they felt about him at that point. Um, But I felt like I was willing to hear what people had to say, but it didn't necessarily mean I was willing to do anything about it. I was still very much in an information gathering phase um, and I hadn't reached a point where I was broken enough and desperate enough to say, you know what, I'm ready to do something about it. I I think it's really important for people um, that may be in your situation now, hopefully listening um, in a safe place to hear you say that because there's others that may be speaking to their life like your house is on fire. Why are you gathering information? You can see it's on smell the smoke and get out. Yeah. Like, but that's so foreign to someone who hasn't been through that situation. Yeah. And, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I really loved him and I wanted it to work. I wanted that relationship to be successful um, and, and I think there's still a lot of misconception about forgiveness and grace when abuse is occurring. You know, it's like, well, I should just forgive him. I should let it go. I shouldn't be harboring wrongs. I shouldn't be, you know, all of these things. And the reality is, is it doesn't, yes, I should forgive him. But when it's safe to do so, and I'm no longer living in a state of constant trauma. Well, and you bring up kind of some elements of, of spirituality, of God. Um, yeah. And it begs the question, where where is God during all of this, and what does your relationship with God look like through this time? Yeah, well, I mean, at the time, um, I really wasn't walking with the Lord. I mean, I can honestly say I always believed God was real. I just didn't really see a use for Him in my life, um, or understand that He actually really cared about me. And so, um, but you know, it is funny. It's like during that season, I would pick up a faith-based book or I'd find myself, you know, turning on a worship song or, you know, one of the things that he always did when he promised that he wanted to change was we'll go to church, Mm. you know? So there was still that element of it where I kind of had this thought that maybe faith could help me and God could help me, but it still wasn't really tangible. Um, But I do know for me, I, I remember there was one particular incident where he got really violent and he left. Normally, um, he would just go in the other room and play video games and act like nothing ever happened. But that evening he left. And I just remember saying, okay, God, I don't care what you do. And I don't care how you do it. If you're real, get me out. And about 10 minutes later, without exaggeration, there was a knock on the door. And that was that third person offering me a key. Hey, I've got a safe place. You can stay. I can't watch this anymore. You know, do you want to pack up a bag and get out of here for a little bit? Wow. And I think that was the first time where I was like, you know what? Maybe God's real. Maybe he does care. (laughs) Maybe there's something to this. (laughs) Well, I do believe God works that way more, less in these miraculous lightning bolt. uh, I'm going to smite your abusive husband more in just those tangible, quiet uh, moments where people actually show up and are the hands and feet of of Christ. Um, Yep. So let's move on from that because you're getting, you're up to three keys now. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're doing some realization, you know, there's a void there, uh, that, that, uh, only God can fill that you're searching for as well. When was it actually safe to leave for you? And then maybe follow that up with what, why were those seven times people leave? When, when is it that people actually can leave safely? Yeah. Well, don't do what I did because it wasn't safe to leave and the way that I left wasn't safe. So I actually learned a lot. Um, post. Um, and God's grace was really the, the safety net that kept me and my family. Okay. During that. Um, but I, that I did pack some stuff up that particular evening. I didn't leave for good. Um, but several weeks later, uh, when I knew he wouldn't be home, I had a friend come with me and packed up some stuff and got out. Um, and then pretty quickly after that, I moved to a completely different state. And, um, that was kind of my safety net, but I, the way that I did a lot of that was really not, 
not wise. And even after that, there were still some moments of contact and, and re-engagement and stuff like that. Cause it, it is, it's like you're breaking, um, you know, there, there's a lot of emotion that goes into that. And again, that you don't, I, I didn't want that to be done. I wanted there to be change. Um, and so it really was a progression. So, um, when it is, you know, it's statistically the most incidents happen when people leave. And I think for some people, they hear that and think that's a barrier. But here's the reality. I mean, and when I was going through that, there really weren't a lot of resources available. There are so many resources available now to help you do that safely, to protect you, to protect your kids, to protect your loved ones. Um, And so you don't have to do it on your own and you do not have to do it in a way that is going to create physical harm for you or people that you love. I love that because it's so true. There's so many people like even on uh, I don't spend much time on TikTok, but there was that trend of, you know, showing this particular sign to let me know you're safe or you need help. Um, there's all sorts of uh, just uh, soap ministries where there's there's information on soap and like so many different ways to get some help. Um, but yeah, uh, that that safety, safety is key. Um, and yeah, so with that. <laughs> Going through that, I mean, you don't understand what what the spouse who's the perpetrator has gone through, too, because if there's some abandonment issues and then you leave and now they're triggered and then they're just seeing red um, and and then your own, I mean, moving another state, that's its own level of trauma as well. Um, Yeah. Did did you have anybody that helped you through that or, or... Yeah, you know, um, one of my friends, her life kind of fell apart about the same time that mine did. And she had moved uh, to Washington and had found this awesome community and church up there. And so she was like, Carrie, you got to come up. Um, And so they had a one month freedom program. It's like the only time that they've ever done that. And it was literally starting when I moved. So it was kind of just I think the Lord just set it up for me. Um, so I planned on staying a month and then it's been like 11 or 12 years now. <laughs> that I, so I ended up finding a great community and eventually meeting my awesome husband, Joey. And <laughs> well, it sounds more like God had uh, a plan for you and, and had some yeah. th- those uh, me and my wife sometimes go back and forth on uh, th- there's a song called a million little miracles. And I'm like, well, if there's a yes. million of them, then they're just common and it's not actually a miracle. And she's like, no. They're all miracles and God works miracles still. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm a more pragmatic person, but it sounds like God yeah. had those all lined up for you, ready to roll. Yeah, he really did. It was it was a really hard season. I mean, anyone who's been through any type of healing knows that um, healing isn't always the most fun, but it's, oh, it's definitely messy. worthwhile. It's messy. <laughs> um, but I'm so thankful for that. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was a lot of um, discovering you know, really it was finding freedom in Christ. Like, okay, God really does care about me. He really can transform me. He really can set me free from these things. And then followed by a lot of counseling and (laughs) everything else. And so it was about, I think six or seven years later that I met Joey. So it, it took a while, um, to really heal and to be ready, but I'm so glad that, that I did that work. So some of those, those identity and, uh, the, the, the acceptance from Christ, all those echoes from your childhood where your dad was instilling the blessing in you? Yeah, you know, um, I shared that it was really personal for me. Um, One of the few times that I actually saw my dad during that season, he had reached out and texted me. um, And I think he had gotten like an email from Les Schwab or one of the tire companies that I needed new tires, you know, time to replace your tires. And so he bribed me and was like, hey, I will buy you new tires if you meet me. And so I was like, who wants to spend $1,000 on new tires? Like, sure, I'll meet you for that. Um, And really what he wanted to do um, was to give me a list. And what he did was he gave me a list of 10 truths about who I was. And at the bottom, it had a place for me to sign and date it. And I, I honestly, I didn't even want to take the paper. I just was like, none of this is true. I don't care. I don't know why you're doing this. But it was really interesting when I went home. I mean, all of those truths were the direct opposite of what I was hearing. And an incident would happen and I'd find myself going in the bathroom and pulling out that list. And at first it was, man, none of this is true. And then it was, well, I want it to be. And then it was, well, maybe it could be. And so there really was a progression that happened in my heart and in my mind through my dad's blessing. And um, and then when I finally did come home, I mean, my 
family found out in a pretty brutal way, you know, here's all the things I've been lying about for five years and what was really going on and all of that. And I'll never forget my dad just putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, Carrie, it's not about where you've been. It's about where you're going. Mm. And he gave me his blessing. And I'll tell you that permission to be able to come home to say, we still love you. We haven't given up on you. I mean, that was that was what I needed to be able to run forward. And and I do want to clarify, I mean, that didn't mean that they like trusted me right away. There was still, you know, trust and healing that needed to happen. But just to know that, man, I hadn't gone so far that I had lost my parents' love and blessing was life changing in terms of stepping into that season of healing. Well, what a blessing to uh, in and of itself not to be rejected because you hear so, so much these days of like, well, if you get pregnant, I'm just going to kick you out of the house and you ain't coming. Yeah. But, you know, I don't I don't know why I chose that accent. Well, I guess I, I live in Kentucky, Indiana area. So that's why we chose yeah. that. But you well, know, and it, and it, but it's a, that's a real thing that happens when you're like, how sad, you know, what a miracle. Yeah. You, no matter how it happened. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you, you, the time you need the resources the most uh, is when yeah. you're at rock bottom. And yeah, it's your choices. But Hearing well, and talk about trauma on trauma. Mm. You know, here you are coming out of trauma or in the middle of trauma and someone who's supposed to love and provide for you is adding to that instead of stepping in the gap and saying, this doesn't, this isn't going to continue. Like, I'm not going to let, you know, this define you. Well, and in your, the, the book, The Blessing talks about some of this, how to instill it in your kids how to, whether you need it for yourself, uh, you do need it for a season is one thing you actually address in the book too. Um, and and those 10, some of those things that you were reading from, from your dad are in there. Um, so with the development of this book, let's just dive in right there because you're coming home, you're not rejected. There's still trust being built. There's a healing process begun based on really years of them investing in you and, you know, having safe boundaries in their own life and for you. And those are, those are difficult. So as you're working through this, I'm assuming you didn't go right from that, right into a ministry with your dad and hop on focus on the family. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not how that works. No. So honestly, but, I think if you had asked either one of us, you know, 10 years ago, if I would be doing this, we both probably would have laughed. <laughs> so yeah, no. <laughs> well, you're, you're able to, you know, share stories now, but Let's maybe bridge that gap for people and maybe throw in some of the elements of the blessing because there's there's five elements there. Uh, How did you work through those and how did your dad instill those in you? Yeah, so the blessing really originated um, even before I was born. It was actually my dad's doctoral thesis. Um, that he did. And all of us today have probably heard of attachment theory, but really the blessing came before that. And it's essentially, how do you live out attachment, Um, which is really awesome. And both my dad and I are certified with emotionally focused therapy and attachment um, and are huge fans of that. But essentially um, he discovered these five elements that were always present in scripture when a blessing was given. And when these five things are done, um, not like once is, is super powerful and it needs to happen, but also consistently, they really can build that sense of attachment and belonging with those that we love. And so I grew up with that. I grew up experiencing it, but it is really interesting when I began to heal how each of those things had been broken in their own ways. Like the first element is appropriate, meaningful touch. Well, if you've been through abuse, that's incredibly broken. You know, it's like, don't touch me because touch is actually really terrifying or painful um, or traumatizing. And so the Lord really did have to begin to heal that piece of it. Um, Spoken words that attach high value. I mean, I had been told I had no value. I mean, I remember sitting in the parking lot of a grocery store crying because I felt like no matter what I go in and come out with, it's going to be wrong. Like I couldn't even buy peanut butter because I was so afraid that I was going to pick the wrong kind of peanut butter. I mean, that was how little value I felt like I had. And so the Lord really had to redeem and begin to heal that. And then special future um, is the fourth element of the blessing. And man, if you're living in trauma, you don't think there's a future. And in fact, you've probably been told that there isn't. Um, or if you leave that relationship that you have no future or, you know, if you leave that you're not going to be around <laughs> physically to even have that kind of future. And so the Lord really had to redeem and heal that. And then finally, the fifth element is genuine commitment. And that's, you know, essentially the Lord saying and someone else saying, I'm not going anywhere, you know, and I know for me to have 
you know, my husband, the person who was supposed to be the one saying that, to have that be broken, I had a lot that needed to be repaired in terms of that genuine commitment um, from another human. And the Lord really needed to fill that for me because he hadn't before in my life. So it definitely was a season of of healing. And it was amazing to watch how each of those elements had been so broken and how as God restored them, not just with him in each area, but with key people that I really began to feel like, oh my gosh, all right, this is true. This is who I am. I have an identity um, and, and actually be able to bless others too, which is what we're called to do. I love that. The turnaround where you're no longer just like looking in for survival. You're looking out to those you can help. Yeah. So reading through your book, I, I tried to take a moment with my six-year-old daughter and just talk to her about that. You know, daddy's always going to have your back. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I said, and I said, when you're 30, I'll still be here and you can always go to mommy and daddy. And she said, well, not if you're dead. And I, <laughs> I said, oh, okay, true. She's a very, uh, she may have my pragmatic streak. Very practical. Too. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I was like, well, that ruined that moment. Uh, but your family also, as you were growing up, found ways to, to put this into practice. Um, it, like uh, you have a story about a red plate, uh, a way you guys yeah. helped uh, bless each other. Well, and I think, you know, one thing I will say to you just about your daughter's comment, because that's so true, you know, you know, as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'm going to be here. But there was actually a study done. um, It's called the High Hill Study. And um, they did it at the University of Virginia and then replicated it at Plymouth College. And so at the UVA, what they did was they found these students that were walking by and they'd grab them and say, hey, do you want to be a part of a study? And what college could doesn't want to miss class to be a part of a scientific research study. And so they'd hook them up with these electrodes and it was a visual perception study. So they had them stand at the base of this high hill and they put a 45 pound backpack on them, which is pretty significant weight. And they would measure how high did they perceive the hill to be and how much effort would it take to climb it? And then what they would do is they would, and every single time that this happened, every time that they did this, they overshot how hard and how high the hill was so then they brought in someone that that person was attached to Mm. like a roommate or a friend or a significant other and they had that person also put on a backpack and then put their hand on their shoulder on the first person's shoulder and every single time without fail how hard it was going to be and how high the hill was shrank And when they did this in Plymouth, and this is where I think it really comes into play with your daughter, um, they did this where they, so they did it the first time, they had them stand at the bottom of a hill, put on the pack and measured it. And again, they overshot how hard and how high. But the second time they had them just think about someone that was going to go up the hill with them. That person could be alive, they could be dead, they could be wherever. But just thinking about that person unanimously, again, the, the, the height of the hill and the effort went down. So whether you're physically there or not, your blessing for her and her knowing that, man, my dad's crazy about me, that matters in the long run. Um, so just to encourage you <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, we might not be able to move on because that uh, that kind of breaks me up a little bit because, um, you know, you want to you want to do the things right. And uh, I think it was Ryan Waters who said we can either be ghosts or ancestors in our kids lives. Mm. We're not going to be here forever. And we want to leave a good legacy to them and let them know that, hey, we're working on our own stuff to leave you as little baggage as possible so you could move yeah. forward. And wow, just to know that I'm an evidence-based guy, that according to the evidence, I could leave a legacy that could really just slingshot my kids up a hill if they just yeah. think about me, if I do things the right way. That's yeah, incredible. and I think that's really that's really what the blessing is about, is how can you be that high hill person for your kids, for your spouse, for people around you that God has placed in your life? You know, it's really, how do we become those high hill people? And uh, so, I mean, here's a plug for, for men's conference. May, your, uh, May 2023, your dad is going to be there talking about the blessing. And it goes so well with the theme of, of this first year of legacy. What are we leaving behind for? And right now, it's not just when you're dead either. Um, so anyway, the red plate, because I don't want to leave people hanging yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. So ways that your family uh, instilled this in, uh, and then I have a follow-up question to that. How did your family sure. just put this into practice? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think one reason why um, I love this new edition of The Blessing is that I really wanted to make it as practical as possible for people. Like, how do you make The Blessing a habit, but in an easy way with your family? And so for us, we had a, a really awesome family friend that bought my parents a red plate when I was born. And it's we call it the special plate. And it says, you are special today on it. Um, and you could actually buy one on Amazon. I think they're like 20 bucks. Um, they're they're pretty, pretty inexpensive. But my parents really abused and overused the special plate. It was like your first day of school, special plate. Special today. You passed a hard class, like somehow, special plate. Like you made the team, special plate. Hey, you didn't make the team, but you had a great attitude, special plate. And so really it was a way to kind of just celebrate um, wins and even maybe some losses where there was a, a growth moment that happened. Um, and, you know, it's it's so sweet. Um she bought one for my parents when my sister was born, and then she actually bought one for me when my son Lincoln was born. So we get to use the special plate in our home. Um, Lincoln's a little too little to use any plates at this point, but um, we're really excited to get to use that. Let, let alone a china plate. I mean, a $20 yeah. china plate at that. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> even though it's 20 bucks. Although yeah. with inflation, I don't know. We should look and see what that is. That's Maybe true. There's... It could be 40 now. We don't know. <laughs> so it, it, with all this, you, you know, you have the the blessing, the concept before you were, you know, even going through the issues you were going through before you had the trust issues with your parents. And it begs the question, I forget which chapter, I think, oh, chapter 19, you talk about this. What if it doesn't work? And it seems like yeah. you're an example of, for a time, the blessing didn't seem to work. Um, so, yeah. like, I, I want to uh, cross that uh, or make that connection for people and maybe have you address that. Go get the book and read chapter 19. But from you, yeah. what what about when you've done all the things, you've, you've, you've made examples, tangible examples. Um, you talk about car rides with your dad where he's telling you stories and instilling more blessing into you. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a lived-out thing, and it didn't work. Yeah. What do you do with that? Well, I think, you know, a couple of things. Um, for many of us, it could just be the middle of the story. And the reality is, is, you know, it says train up a child in the way they should go. And then this is the part we often forget. And when they are older, they will return to it. And so the reality is, is there's a return. Maybe there's a season where they've walked away, but there is that return. And so I think instilling this in your kids, um, it matters. I know it mattered to me when I was off the rails. It, it, those were things that I thought about. My dad's blessing in that season mattered. And so the story isn't done yet for so many of us. And I think as parents, that shame and that guilt and that what if, what if, what if cycle can be really debilitating and really kind of become our own form of trauma. And so I think my biggest advice would be get some extra help whether that's with a counselor or a friend or a loved one, whatever that looks like and work through that because you cannot be cut up on the what ifs. And I will say this too. I mean, and my dad talks about this a lot when we speak together, there was forgiveness that he needed to do before I came home. Like if he hadn't worked through some of that, the day I showed up on their doorstep and said, I'm so sorry, this is what's going on. Like, I don't know that the blessing would have been given in the same way. There would have been that temptation of, okay, well, you're home, but but now that, but what about this? Well, let's talk about that. And that wasn't the moment for that. Those conversations could come later in a different way. But my mom and dad went to counseling. They worked through a lot um, to almost be ready for that season when I came home. So I think for some of us, there's that. And I will say this too. There are cases where maybe they don't come back. Um, in the same way, one of the, the stories in that chapter is about a dear friend of mine who lost her son to addiction. Yeah. Um, and he had gone through seasons where he was sober and, and, and had a relapse moment. And a lot of us have experienced that where we've had a loved one or friend where that's just the case. But at the end of the day, one thing that she talks about a lot is she's like, I know that he loved the Lord. I know who he was when he was a kid. I know these things are true. And even though he couldn't win that battle here, I still know who he was. And so I think, um, and again, she's been through a lot of, I, we're huge fans of counseling yes. over here at Strong Families. Yes. So like, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone, no matter where the season is. But I also just think there's so much hope. There's so much hope um, for where you're at. And if God can do it for me, there's literally no one he can't reach. Well, I love that addressing it. And, and that correlates with a lot of what Grace Story is all about. You're the journey of restoration, your story's not over. Um, so let's wait until the end there. Uh, but I, 
I, I hear what you're saying and, and I, I love it. And then there's this, this side of it, the forgiveness, um, man, that's hard. But yeah. the, the thing I notice most of all through that is everybody in your story is doing their work. So yeah. it's not just yeah. one person's diving, the kid, the kid's diving in and you're getting help, but your dad is also doing his work. Um, yeah. where if you don't have that, there may not be reconciliation or restoration. Right. Um, so I, that's just a sidebar I saw in, in what you were, you were saying there. So before I get to, there's some listener questions that they put in here. Um, I do yeah. want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you, uh, and more about your, your ministry and, uh, where to buy the book. Yeah. So you can find me, uh, Carrie Trent Stageberg, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, and strongfamilies.com is our website or carrytrentstageberg.com. Uh, and then you can find the blessing pretty much wherever Amazon's always great. Our store, um, any, any bookseller really, uh, you can find the blessing. Yeah. And my version was an ebook. That's, that's how I read all my books, but, uh, yeah. we'll put and those... if you want to hear our voices, you can listen to the audiobook. <laughs> oh, Get you're the really one... sick of hearing my dad <laughs> and I talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put that in the show notes. So it's easy access. So if you're listening right now, we've got a couple more questions, listener questions, you can scroll down and go ahead and head over, check out the websites while we're still talking here. Um, and, and, uh, Carrie, you're going to be speaking in 2020, your dad's in May of 2023 at men's conference. And then you're coming in uh, November of 2023 uh, yeah, to, to yeah, Grace Story Conference. Wait. So that's really exciting. So this is kind of just like a little preview of what y'all will be talking about. So awesome stuff. Um, so these listener questions, and they, they're kind of deep. Um, so what, yeah. they want your perspective on it here. So I'll read them ver- verbatim. Here's, a, here's one. When someone doesn't understand what appropriate corporal punishment is, and they are being abusive, they cross that line. How do you make them accountable and initiate change? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, You know, and I'll be totally honest and say corporal punishment isn't totally my specific area, um, but I do think that in a lot of cases, um, it. I'm going to say it this way. I think when things are done in anger and they're used to instill fear in people, it doesn't matter if it's corporal punishment, a verbal response, it doesn't matter what it is, it's wrong. Um, And that creates a really fearful and and abusive environment. And so regardless of your views on spanking or on any of that, um, when it is being done in a way that instills fear, um, that's really where it's crossed a line. And I think for anyone who... um, has had to live through that. There's a lot of trauma and we hear stories about that all the time where, you know, my, my grandfather took the belt or to me or the razor strap as my dad used to say. Um, and there was trauma that really happened with that and fear, um, within punishment. And I think, you know, again, our job, uh, and, and you have this name in your ministry, grace-based, right? Yeah, yeah. God can create change in people without having to instill that fear, we can correct behavior without having to add trauma to somebody's life. Um, and, and again, please hear me on this. Like corrective behavior as a parent is really important. Yes. Like, you want your kids to learn and grow, but you shouldn't do it in a way where it's terrifying to them or traumatizing to them. That's a hundred percent, not only not biblical, but in my opinion, incorrect. But I, I'm sure, do you have any thoughts on that too? Cause again, that's not my specific area of. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting. No one's ever turned the questions around on me. I, you know, I'm just the host. I, I don't have to think. You're here. welcome. <laughs> well, I do think sometimes it can be almost romanticized too. Uh, I mean, I, I forget the words of the entire song, but there's a Gaither homecoming song called the Bible and the belt. Um, and mm. you know, you watch the YouTube video and everybody's just kind of sit, sitting around shaking their head. Like, mm, yes. The Bible, the two different types of leather, amen, the Bible and the belt. And you're like, mm. there's someone out there listening to this and they had a different experience with the belt. Um, and maybe even the, if they're misusing the belt, I bet they're misusing they're the other misusing leather the of the Bible. Yeah. So, um, I, I agree with you where it's, if it's fear-based, cause that can be, again, anything, anything can become fear-based where you're trying to second, okay, is today the day I'm going to make my dad mad where he's going to, he's going to spank me. Is, it, is today the day to avoid the house, um, where it's not really about, uh, making you a better human being. It's about behavior modification so that I'm more comfortable with what you're going to be doing. Eh, right. It just, 
Something well, and, I, and right. I think if we're going back to the blessing, even, I mean, acceptance is not performance based. Mm. Like God shows us before we even chose him. And, you know, as a parent, our love, that unconditional love has to be a part of our parenting. Um, and again, that doesn't mean you're subsidizing bad behavior or not mm. correcting bad behavior, but doing it in a way where it feels at all conditional of your approval and your love is completely you know, that, that's where it gets really skewed too. And would it fall under the appropriate, the appropriate yeah, touch that's, that's great, edifying the individual? Yeah. I would dare say probably not. Probably but. not. <laughs> but the, the question at then is, is how do you, uh, how do you make, initiate change? Mm. That's another one where I think it goes back to kind of what you're saying about how, how do you get out? And that's yeah. a complicating factor. Many people don't think about if there's children involved in the situation, um, how do you get out? I, 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 yeah. don't, I don't know. I don't have that answer. Well, yeah. I mean, I think if, if there's abuse going on, um, and getting out is something that needs to happen and, uh, with an unrepentant partner and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I think the reality is, is there's a lot you can do. The first is have a plan. Um, you definitely need a safety plan and you know, the national domestic violence hotline is a great resource. There's professionals that can actually help you come up with a plan, um, to get out safely and to keep your kids safe. Um, there's also, you know, cause if you think about it, you know, Terry Cruz says this and I love this. He says, you need three things to get out. You know, you need the finances, you need the support system and you need, um, I think it's more like the, the faith, like the, the belief that it's going to be okay. And so really those three things kind of need to be in place um, for you to feel like you can get out in a way that is going to be sustainable for you and your kids. But the awesome thing is, like I said, there's so many resources available um, to help with all three of those things. Well, and if you're in those situations, you may need to rely on someone else for all three of those things. Because uh, yeah. if they're controlling, they're probably isolation, the finances. Isolating you, yeah. Um, maybe even using the kids as a pivot point of like, you know, you're going to lose the kids if you leave me, that type of thing. So without triggering anyone further on that, um, the point is protect your kids, get out, make a plan, talk to someone. You can talk to people outside of your marriage for help and guidance with things. Um, And if you need help with that, reach out greatstoryministries.com or click on the website for Carrie in in the show notes. Um, They'd love to help you as well. The second of the three listener questions we have, the second one was, how do I speak blessing into my kids after they're gone from home? I tried to keep them safe when they were at home, but I, it wasn't enough. And now I'm trying to make up for lost time. Well, you know, I think when their kid, when your kids have left from home, you can bless them in so many ways. And we actually have, um, I believe there is a chapter in the book on that, you know, when you, when you have grown kids. So there's a ton of practicals for you to do. But even what my dad did, simplify that. Send them a little note with, five different things that you see in them, character traits about who they are. Um, And again, you don't, if they're not walking with the Lord, you do not need to over-spiritualize this, but pointing out truth um, that even is grounded in scripture is not a bad thing to do. Um, Like I said, I wanted nothing to do with my family or faith in that season and that list changed my life. Um, But there are so many ways that you can continue to do that, but doing it in a way where they're open to it. Um, Another thing that we love talking about at Strong Families is word pictures. So um, picking a character trait and an object. So for example, my husband, Joey, loves trains. Like he was a conductor on the railroad before he got into film. Um, And he's the only person I know that intentionally tries to get stuck behind a train in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) which is really obnoxious for the rest of us, but he just loves trains. And so um, I was gone on a trip and I saw this really awesome antique train. And so I brought it back for him and I gave it to Joey and I just said, hey, you are so good at keeping all the trains running in our home. And because of that, the rest of us get to operate and and live in a way where, man, it just just makes sense and there's order (laughs) in what would otherwise just be chaos. Um, and then Joey did something for me that was similar to give you another example. We've been slowly remodeling our home for six years, which is like everyone knows when you start flipping a house, it's like the never ending process. Well, we were finally at a place where we were replacing the electrical outlets and Joey wrapped one of them up and I opened it and was mildly disappointed because I was like, well, just put it in the wall. Like, why are you giving this to me? <laughs> and but what he said was he goes, no, no, Carrie, like you need to know you light up our home. 
And I'll tell you, every time I flip one of those new light switches, I think about the fact that my husband thinks I light up our home. And that train sits right on Joey's nightstand. And so sometimes picking a character trait and a picture um, can be a really powerful way to bless and speak life into them, um, even without having to, you know, it doesn't cross into that realm of over-spiritualizing or preachy if they're just not in a place to receive that. And if they are, then you add a verse with it. Um, but try to pick something that they're really interested in. Well, I like that because that's, um, on one hand, I like it because it's it's something that anybody can do. But it, yeah. it, it takes intention to understand what's going on in the other person's life and notice something. Because if you just come up with like, you know, your roses are red, violet, like they know you, uh, great, you handed me a light switch, whatever. But right. uh, I can also see where there's some people that may have been through some trauma or their family used uh, sarcasm as a, a, a crutch or something where you walk up with that and they might, whatever, okay, this yeah. is corny. Or, you know, uh, I'm feeling the feelings. I don't like this. Um, where you may have to work through it slowly. And part of that's understanding where they're at too. Um, right. But, but work through the corniness because it's 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 good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the great thing about word pictures is sometimes words can go over our head, but pictures kind of go over the wall. Um, so even if it doesn't land exactly where you want it to, maybe it got over the wall for the first time. Well, and it's and gonna then keep, keep coming trying. back. It's going to keep coming back because <laughs> yeah. you know whether they like it or not. Ha! Every time you flip a light switch, you're going to think of your value. Every time, <laughs> which is really fun when we're in a fight and you're like, "Dang it, he thinks I light up the home." All right, fine. Uh, why did I look <laughs> at that light switch? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the final one here um, is how do you help kids who are in the abuse with you understand what they feel is valid? without groveling in shame. And I think some of that goes to, uh, if I'm reading the person right, kind of working through their own story and, and you're yeah. witnessing it and you maybe were part of that story. Yeah, you know, and I think um, I do a lot of work with people coming out of abuse and this is something so real where a lot of times people have that guilt of, man, this didn't just affect me, this affected people I love and how do I really help them process through that without it bringing me back into this cycle of grief and shame and oh my gosh, I'm a terrible insert, whatever parent, mom, <laughs> dad, you know, whatever. And the reality is this is shame and guilt are always going to keep you circling and they don't have to. No. God has not only forgiven you, but he is going to help your kids heal. He is responsible for their healing. Um, and he is faithful to do that. And so I think, you know, there's also some times where it may not be appropriate for you to be the only person that is hearing what is going on with your kids and getting them help and ha letting them have a, an, a third party, um, safe third party counselor, something like that to help them process through that can be a really great way too. Um, and then there might be times where it's appropriate for you guys to be together to process some, some hard things that happened. But I think when that shame comes up, you know, one thing that I did and still do, um, if I'm struggling with something, we call it a stop think card, but I pick a verse um, that is really kind of the opposite of that, like whatever I'm, I'm battling with. So if it's anxiety, you know, do not be afraid, you know, whatever that is, or, you know, fear not for I'm with you, whatever, whatever the verse is, I write it down. And every time that lie starts to come up, I pull out the card. And on the back, after reading the verse, I put a little tally mark, you know, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. And I do that again and again and again. And, you know, one day it might be 20, the next day it might be 60 because it's not linear, <laughs> you know. Um, but the goal is essentially you're training your brain to stop and say, I'm not going there. That is a lie. And here's truth. And I'm going to walk in truth. And so helping yourself have that visual reminder. My other thought would be is if you're still in that situation and you're feeling that, it's probably time to do something about it. Because if your kids are facing harm, more harm is not going to help. Um, a year from now, it's not going to look different. It's not going to be better. And, you know, the damage does amplify. That's just a reality. Um, and so I would strongly encourage you to begin to take steps to find a place of safety, especially for your kids. Well, and, and especially when, again, both people, if they're not doing, if both people aren't doing their work, there probably won't be shame, uh, change rather. Yeah. Um, another resource on, on shame that I'm thinking of right off the bat is Kurt Thompson's Soul of Shame. Mm, yeah. I can help with that as well. A great book. Um, and going, I think those two questions from the other listener, um, one of the ways you can help kids is just with that presence, the thing you talked about, 
sending them, you know, ideas of, of who they are based in scripture. Those types of things yeah. will help as well for, for both of those listeners. So our, I could go on forever, but we are, we are out of time. If you want to hear more uh, from Carrie, make sure you're signing up for a women's conference. That's, you know, you, not this year, but next year we've, we've got them planned out quite a ways. Uh, but Carrie, um, at the end of our episodes, I like to give it over to to the the guest for just a moment. If there's something you would want to leave with our listeners, uh, something we've talked about, something that's on your heart lately, um, or an action plan, whatever it might be, uh, if you can talk directly to the Grace Story listener from Carrie, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think lately um, one thing God has just been reminding me of again and again is the power of little things. And I just want you to know there is so much hope. And today, just encourage you to do something little. Maybe it's call a friend and say, this is what's going on. Maybe it's Google the domestic violence hotline when it's safe to do so. Maybe it's pick up a copy of a book that you know is going to encourage you. Um, Whatever it is, something little that you can do that's going to begin to move you forward. Um, And just know that as you do that, those those little things amplify and magnify and really creates the change that we want to see. So I just, again, want you to know there's hope um, and do something small today and, and tell yourself, okay, this is the small thing I'm doing and I'm going to do it at this time and then do it. You've got this. I love that. Every small step uh, creates progress moving forward on your journey of restoration. Well, I, that's that's uh, about all the time we have. But Carrie, thank you so much for coming on Great Story Podcast today and sharing your story and then sharing your expertise as well. And thank you for, for all you do at your ministry for for all those out there. Yeah, well, and thank you guys as well. What a blessing to get to be with you. And thank you to the listener for joining in again. Uh, make sure you head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com and check out the registration for this year's uh, Women's Conference, Men's Conference coming up in 2023, um, and then be looking for uh, some some special reductions in price uh, that happen through the holiday season for all of next year's. Carrie will be at that 2023 November conference, so definitely get your registration squared away for that. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, like I say every time, there is no us without you. You are so important. Uh, You are a part of the Grace Story community. So keep on your journey of restoration. Come back in two weeks for more. And until then, we'll be praying for you.